like to wish everyone a warm welcome on behalf of the British Council as well as the Temenos Academy. Um, the chairman of the Temenos Academy, Sir Nicholas Pearson, has asked that all who uh, are in attendance here uh, might uh, consider joining the Temenos Academy if you enjoy this talk. The Temenos Academy has many talks which are as enjoyable as this talk. So um, anyone who's interested in joining the Academy, there are forms outside the door. You can also refer to uh, Stephen Overy, who is in charge. He's back there. Now, it's my uh, pleasure and honor and delight to introduce Dr. Gomshi, uh, who I count to be the supreme, uh, my supreme best friend in this world. Uh, I've known him for some 10 years, and I had the honor of introducing him to Kathleen Rain, the founder of the Temenos Academy. And um, we often went to visit her and enjoyed her wisdom. And um, so he has spoken at length at the Temenos Academy in the past. I believe his first lecture at the Academy was in 1996, where um, he spoke on, um, what was it, the poetics and the aesthetics of the Persian Sufi tradition. The, this article was later published. This was his first lecture that he delivered in English in the West. Um, and it was so fabulous that uh, we just we decided to transcribe it and, and publish it. It was later published uh, in a journal. And then he went on to give 10 lectures on Rumi, uh, each two hours long, with Kathleen Rain in attendance at all of the lectures. And that was, I believe, in 1997. And then he gave something like seven lectures on Nezami, a lecture on the Quran and Persian literature, lectures on Attar, etc. So he's an old-time, old-timer at the Temenos Academy, and it's really a pleasure that he has been able to return to, um, to London to give us the benefit of his wisdom. Speaking of which, just to briefly introduce him, um, he received his PhD in Islamic theology and philosophy in 1965 from Tehran University, and in the late 60s and during all of the 70s, he was employed by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Iran as a translator of legal text. Uh, he specialized in Arabic, translating from Arabic and English. Uh, after, the, after the events of 1979, he uh, became the director of the National Library of Iran for two years. And he's the author of numerous publications. Uh, his uh, collected essays in Iran have sold something like 50,000 copies. Uh, he's written extensively on Rumi. Uh, he's done an edition, put together an edition of the Divan of Hafez. Um, he's done a bilingual primer for Persian students um, of English literary translation. He's translated books on Shakespeare into Persian. So that's some of his background. Um, he's recently, this is 
He's on the tail end of one of his phenomenal lecture tours. He's given 15 lectures in the last 25 days and been in most of the countries of Europe. And uh, as I understand it, he's still on his way to Switzerland and uh, Spain and, uh, and other countries to give further lectures. Now, I had the honor of traveling around with Dr. Gomshei in Iran. Um, in 2004, we visited four different cities. And the interesting thing about Iran is that everywhere he goes, uh, he has a crowd of 10 to 15 people following him saying, will you give me advice on the difference between free will and predetermination? And what is the difference between the soul and the spirit? And um, uh, by the way, um, I do have a problem with my younger son. Um, and this sort of thing. And he takes the time aside to answer the questions of the stewardess who brings him specially tea, tea for him especially. No one else in the airline gets tea, but he gets tea. And then she sits down and says, uh, can you tell me uh, the meaning of this verse in this poem of Hafez? And he spends five minutes telling her and making her happy. So this is this phenomenon I've, I've experienced time and time again in Iran. He's very popular and um, beloved by everyone I meet. And so the, the title of his talk this evening is sort of, in a way, reflects his own uh, nature because in Iran, in Afghanistan, in Tajikistan, if you want a passport to, uh, your, to someone, someone who is uh, formidable and dangerous, all you need to do is to have a copy of Sadi. And you just put it on the table in front of you and immediately a smile will come to their face because Sadi is the passport. Everyone loves Sadi. Nobody will dare criticize Sadi and everyone has something to tell you about Sadi. And it's the same, of course, in this country uh, with Shakespeare. So these are... He himself is like this. He, he, he doesn't have people who, um, who dislike him. He is a passport to a smile. Uh, I've noticed this uh, all over Iran. He's he, some, something that you can always start a com conversation about Dr. Gomshei and what his latest lecture are, lectures are. And, and by the way, he has, he's the most popular, he has the most popular program in, in Iranian television. He, the, everybody stops to listen to his lectures. Now, his erudition in Persian literature is, is quite formidable. I organized a conference at SOAS in 2003, and he was the keynote speaker there uh, of the second day of the conference. And all of the, the scholars at the conference that had come from all over the world, many different countries, were all delighted by what he had to say. So um, today he's speaking to us about Sadi and Shakespeare, comparing them. And I think it's a wonderful comparison. And I'd just like to quote, um, apropos of this, um, what Edward Brown in his Literary History of Persia had to say about Sadi, and then conclude with what Ehsana Yarshatter had to say about Sadi. And you can see, just to give background to what I'm sure he's going to say in much better words than I am. But Edward Brown, in his four-volume Literary History of Persia, says... The real charm of Sadi and the secret of his popularity lies not in his consistency, but in his Catholicity. In his works is a matter for every taste, the highest and the lowest, 
the most refined and the most coarse. His writings are a microcosm of the East, alike in its best and its most ignoble aspects. And it is not without good reason, wherever the Persian language is studied, they are and have been for six centuries and a half the first books placed in the learner's hands. So that's what Edward Brown in his great uh, pioneering literary history of Persia, four volumes, had to say. And, of course, you all know that Sadi is basically the most popular lyricist in the Persian language after uh, the poetry of Hafez, that is. Now, what Esana Yarshatar, who's one of the foremost scholars of, of Persian literature, um, what he had to say is this. Um, Sadi holds a position in Persian literature in terms of the power of expression and depth and breadth of his sensibilities comparable to that of Shakespeare in English letters. So this is... Uh, there, most of, uh, of peop- the people that have written and tried to give you a, a cross-cultural uh, understanding of Persian literature and its relationship to the West have made this observation on the similarity between the two poets. Uh, and I'm sure Dr. Gomshay is going to tell us in depth and breadth about that. Um, it's interesting that Sadi was the first uh, poet uh, translated. This was back in the early 17th century and he was translated into Latin, then into German, and finally into English uh, by, um, at the orders of Sir Gore Usley, um, who was uh, the British High Commissioner, I believe, in India. Um, and he ordered Francis Gladwin to translate his, um, his uh, Golistan into English. And Gladwin translated it, and Emerson, the great uh, American uh, philosopher, wrote, I find in Sadi a pure theism. He asserts the universality of moral laws and the perpetual retributions. He celebrates the omnificence of a virtuous soul. Through his Persian dialect, he speaks to all nations, and like Homer, Shakespeare, Cervantes, Montaigne, is perpetually modern. And lastly, what Thoreau had to say about Sadi. The entertaining a single thought of a certain elevation makes all men of one religion. I know, for instance, that Sadi entertained identically the same thought that I do, and therefore I find no essential difference between Sadi and myself. He is not Persian. He is not ancient. He is not strange to me. But the identity of his thought with mine still survives. Sadi possessed no greater privacy or individuality than is thrown open to me. Truth in a true man is essentially public, not private. If Sadi were to come back to claim a personal identity with the historical Sadi, he would find that there are too many of us. He could not get a skin that could contain us. By sympathy with Sadi, I have emboweled him. So that's the great author of Walden, what he had to say about Sadi. And I'm going to leave the rest to Dr. Gomshai and beg his indulgence for going on so long. Thank you very much. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, oh, this one yeah. speaks. Okay. <clears throat> Good evening, once again, ladies and gentlemen. I offer my thanks to Dr. Lewison for his 
generous introduction and very insightful introduction to Sadi. His friendship has ever been an honor and delight for me, as well as insightful. I have learned much from Dr. Lewison during more than about more than 15 years of friendship, a paragon of good spiritual friendship I have experienced in this world. <clears throat> I wish to offer you a salutation now, not from myself, but the salutation of Shakespeare and the salutation of Sadi. Sadi believes that the best gift in the world is to offer someone a salutation or a salam. Because salam is, first of all, the name of God. It is the name of paradise. It means peace and health and serenity all of them in one word, Salam. So he believes that man ba'd az in agar be diyari safar konam this is what he says in his one of his poems, lyrics hich armaqanei nabaram jo salam dost if I ever happen to travel again to a land, to a country I will take with me no other gift than this salutation or salam of the beloved, of our mistress, of our Lord. And I wish to quote Sadi again, Zahi Saadat man came to Ahmadi be salam. I received Sadi's salutation and I say, <clears throat> it is a great honor and delight for me that you have come, you have brought me this salam. Actually, the complete works of Sadi is his salam to humanity. And his salam is the salam of the mistress, of his mistress, who is the Lord of creation. But uh, now that we are in England, I wish to open this discourse with a piece of Shakespeare about this land, this royal throne of kings, this sceptered isle, this earth of majesty, this seat of Mars, this other Eden, this Denny paradise, this happy breed of men, this little world, this precious stone put in the silver sea that serves it in the office of a wall or a moat defensive to a house against the envy of less happier people. This plot of majesty this England. I'm happy that I am in England again. 
and I have had the honor to speak to a group of lovers of beauty and truth and Shakespeare and Sadi and uh, to speak about two great poets who remind me of a poem by Rudyard Kipling that East is East and West is West and the twain shall never meet. But he goes on to say that they meet actually in a great artist, in a great musician, in a great poet. So Sadi and Shakespeare, though they have many centuries of time separate them, thousands of kilometers separate their birthplace, but if we don't say that they are in the same land, at least they are near neighbors in the realm of literature, in the realm of gold. As Dr. Lewison mentioned, many great poets have praised Sadi, and many great poets have praised Shakespeare, and have said much about Shakespeare. Shakespeare is the minstrel, or the bard, or you could say the prophet of England. As Sadi is a prophet, has been called a prophet by many poets, including Amalakusharaid Bahar, one of the recent great poets of Persia, that he says, Ust Peygamberu in Name Beforgan Maunat. Sadi is truly a prophet, and his works is like the Quran. And anyone who denies Sadi is no more than the devil. So, about Shakespeare, if you collect things in praise of Shakespeare, it runs into many volumes of books. But I refer to some of great poets, for example, Milton, who was so infatuated by Shakespeare, he says that, oh, what needs my dear Shakespeare for his holy bones, for his holy dust, to build a pyramid as high as the sky? He doesn't need that. Because he has himself, he is the best architect and he has uh, created, he has created a mausoleum for himself that king would wish to die for that mausoleum. And Matthew Arnold says, others abide our question, thou art free. And then he goes on to say what Shakespeare has done what he has seen in this world. In fact, Sadi and Shakespeare, they are the true kings of Persia and of England. Because other kings, just uh, Shakespeare says, let's sit down for the sake of God for a moment on the earth and think about the end. 
the death of the kings. They all died away. While Shakespeare was not a king who had conquered a territory, conquered a country, but he had created a country. Shakespeare is himself the king of uh, his own country, and he has added to the countries of the world. He has enriched us. Uh, one of the great French writers says that Shakespeare is a continent, is a great, great land, and he has created so many crowds of great people. And so sad, he says, Jahan girifti sadi. Oh, sadi, you have conquered the whole world by the sword of your eloquence. So, in Persian literature, actually, when they speak of kings, of princes, it means great artists and great poets, particularly. So, we, tonight, we have two minstrels to bring us delight and happiness, to sing for us, two great singers, because Sadi is a singer, and Shakespeare has created so many songs at the side of his most beautiful uh, place and we have two for our wine for our intoxication also we have two cup bearers because they both have a tavern the tavern of Shakespeare and the tavern of Sadi and they give you such intoxication of the wine of beauty and truth, that its uh, intoxication never leaves you. And Sadi actually says, a person who drinks this wine uh, will be sober, not tomorrow, not the day after tomorrow, but not in the morning of the Day of Judgment, but in the evening of the Day of Judgment, when everything has been settled down. So he will go all through this intoxicated and unaware of all the troubles of the world, of this world and the next world. So <clears throat> this is a symposium I wish to call our gathering a symposium in the true sense of the word, meaning sitting together and drinking wine. Of course, both Sadi and Shakespeare have bewared us of drinking the wine of grapes. Sadi says, What deprives you of reason is called sharab. Sharab is in Persian. Of course, it's an Arabic word. We call it Baade in Persian. There are many other names as well. Baade, Sahba, Sharab. But Sadi, uh, playing with the word Shar and Ab, he says Shar means evil, evil. And Ab is water, liquor. So he says what deprives you 
from your reason is this uh, rebellious water. This is rebellious liquor, as Shakespeare says. Actually, a servant is calling to his Lord in one of his plays that, Oh, my Lord, don't deprive me of your service, although I am old. Because when I was young, I have not used that rebellious liquors too much. And he says that, oh, for men, that uh, it, is very, it is very strange that people would send a thief, a thief from their mouth into their house in order to rob them of their reason, the jewel of their reason. And it is more strange, it is a stranger, that people with revelry and pleasance and joy celebrate their coming from humanity to the world of animals. Because when they lose their reason, they are in the realm of the beast. This is what Shakespeare says. So they offer higher and more qualified and better wines in their own taverns, which one cannot find in the taverns of the, at the side of the River Rhine. There is so much to be said about similarities between Shakespeare and Sadie. I can only give you just a list of some of them and it needs, as uh, in Persian we say, it needs a night with full moon to sit together with nothing to do so that we could discuss and discuss about this. But first of all, Sadi and Shakespeare are both most popular poets in their country. And they have enriched their languages their respective languages with so many of memorable phrases and quotes that uh, if they print a book, the whole works of Shakespeare, and put the name quotations from Shakespeare, it's all right. Because all the works are quotations. And in Persian also, if you make uh, an edition of Sadi's works, complete works, with the name quotations by Sadi, it's all right, because whatever he has said is a quotation. And it is um, very important that in both languages, which are not monumental language, some languages are monumental, like Arabic, for example, like Latin, uh, you can easily make phrases and sentences that are memorable and uh, attractive in their structure. They are like a monument. But it is very difficult to make a monument in English or in, in Persian. So Sadi has created so many beautiful monuments out of the language, out of the compositions, musical compositions he has created. And Shakespeare has also created <clears throat> such vigorous prose and poetry and such vigorous and beautiful combination of words 
that even the calamities of life can give you joy and delight. He speaks about the calamities of life and to be or not to be, that's the question. He goes on and on to say, uh, who, could, who would bear the scorns, the scorns, the whips and scorns of time, the oppressor's wrong, the proud man's contumely, the pangs of despised love, the, the law's delay, the insolence of office, and the spurns that patient merit of the unworthy takes. So these are the calamities. So beautiful. It's a piece of music to listen to these calamities of the world. So that is what Sadi also has done because they believe that uh, if you are in, in, the, in the realm of beauty, then everything is beautiful. Then even death is beautiful. Shakespeare said death is just a, a pinch of the beloved. It is, it's a little bit painful, but you enjoy it because you, you understand that she, is, she has chosen you to pinch you. There is a story of uh, talking about going back to the popularity of Sadi and Shakespeare and popular quotations. There is this, uh, an anecdote about two American ladies who happened to come to London to attend one of the works of Shakespeare. So they happened to see one of the plays, and when they were interviewed by some journalists about Shakespeare, how they found Shakespeare after all, they said, well, after all, Shakespeare is not such a great man. He has just put together some popular quotations and turned them into plays. <laughs> so that is true also with Sadi. Every moment, um, you find Sadi in the newspaper, in the in works of poetry, in the, in the essays, in the articles, everywhere Sadi is present. And his, uh, his words and combinations are even chosen you know, as a title of the book. Just as Shakespeare, when he says uh, <coughs> life, he is talking about life, it's a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. So sound and fury is the name of a novel. Brave New World is Shakespeare. And there are so many of these names borrowed from Shakespeare uh, to give, uh, to ornate their works. So I really I don't know from where I can start. It's better to start from one of the things most emphasized by Shakespeare and by Sadi in the realm of morality is the law of compensation. That this world, the world of morality, just like the world, the material world, has certain laws certain sure laws. And if you do A, B would follow. And you have to wait for B if you do A. 
And if you plant dates or thorns, you have to wait for the fruit of what you have planted. You cannot get dates, sweet dates, as in from the thorn you have planted. So Shakespeare in his famous work Macbeth, he has put some words in the mouth of the weird sisters, the wizards, the three witches. They, as they are going to tempt, before they start tempting uh, Macbeth, they are singing for themselves. And this is the refrain of their song, that fair is foul, foul is fair. Hover in the filthy air. So what does that mean? This is the most devilish saying which Shakespeare has put in the mouth of the three weird sisters. Any criminal, this is the, 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 the theology, I mean, the ideology of anyone who wants to do something wrong. That oh, there is no difference between fair and foul. Fair is foul, and foul is fair. And Shakespeare, in all his plays, is actually trying to prove that it is not right. They are lying or the devils. Fair is fair and foul is foul. And uh, if uh, uh, even you want to do something wrong, you have to convince your divine nature somehow, somehow to deceive it, somehow to stop it from intervention. Lady Macbeth, when he wants to encourage his husband for the crime, he has come to the spirits, to the evil spirits. Come, you evil spirits that tend on mortal thoughts. Unsex me here, because this sex is the sex of kindness, of gentleness. A woman is full of mercy. So they, they have to unsex her in order she could do that. Unsex me here and fill me from crown to toes, top full from direst cruelty. Stop up the access to, to repentance that no compunctious compunctious visiting of nature would ever come to shake my fell purpose. He knows that um, a dark cloud has come to cover the sky so that when he is just bringing down the dagger, no one would cry, hold, hold. So even the criminal himself down deep is in, in his own conscience, is aware that he is doing the wrong. 
So Shakespeare and Sadie are both universal mirrors of human nature. If we ever lose our nature, our divine nature, we can come to Sadie or come to Shakespeare, just as we can go to Homer or to Dante, because they are acquainted, well acquainted with the human nature. They have um, all the variations of human nature and uh, they are actually redressing every moment in uh, their words if there is any deviation from divine nature. He wants to justify the works of God that uh, if he has uh, commanded certain commandments, he is right. Because if A, then B. I am reminded of another poem by Shakespeare, which is uh, very short, but it is as good as the two-volume book of Decline of the West by Spengler, the German uh, scholar, because he had a theory that the West is passing through the realm of culture to the realm of civilization, and then he is going to decline and to die. And Shakespeare says, take but degree away. Degree is the human nature, is all the harmonies of the world, the nobility, the magnanimity, the dignity, put them away, and hark what discord would follow. Humanity is out of tune now, untuned that's a string, untuned that's a string of humanity, and then hark what harsh sounds you will hear. Then everything meets the other thing in opposition, because there is no, no harmony, no unity. Everything is single. So he is just opposite you. And everything includes itself in, in power. And power is turned into will. And will into appetite, into greed that is devouring the world now. And appetite is a universal wolf, so doubly seconded by will and power, will must perforce make a prey of the whole world, and then it, he eats up himself. So this is the end of the world. If the degree, if the harmony is untuned. So we can say that great poets, great minstrels, they are called because they know the, uh, the instrument of human body, of the human nature. If it is out of tune, then they tune it up. Shakespeare can tune us up. If you are in the company of Shakespeare, in the company of Sadi, in the company of um, 
Eliot in the company of all great poets, Milton, <coughs> Blake, then you can come back to your normal tune. And uh, then we can speak a few words about the soul and body in the works of Sadie and Shakespeare. They both believe that soul and body are two things, and one is a prisoner in the other. The soul is our main and most important part, the perpetual one, the immortal one, and uh, this, as Shakespeare says, this uh, muddy vesture of decay, or as in to be or not to be, he says, uh, when we have shuffled off this mortal coil, when we have shuffled off this mortal coil, this mortal coil is our body. And Shakespeare in one of his sonnets is complaining why people have give so much credit to their body, keep it fat and good, while their soul is meager and worn and is dying. And he says, you know that the end of this body is going to be eaten by worms under the ground. So how is it that you spend all your intelligence, all your power, all your time uh, on this body which is going to leave you and which is going uh, to be the food of worms while your spirit is dying out of hunger, is starving. Sadi says, Hami niradat isi as lagari, die Jesus. Sadi compares our soul with Jesus. And the donkey is our body. So he has many references to donkey that um, most people, instead of riding the donkey, let the donkey ride them because most of them are doing, whatever they are doing, is doing for the donkey. So, he says, Your Jesus is starving. And you are nourishing, giving a full nourishment to the donkey. So, Shakespeare also um, recommends that we have to give more and more credit to our soul who is uh, our true self and is going to continue to live. The yearning of immortality is a good, as Plato says, and Shakespeare confirms and reconfirms that the yearning for immortality, which is in our hearts, is a good reason to prove that our soul is going to continue to live and we are immortal. Otherwise, how it happened that this wish came to our heart? Then we come to the question of love, which is most important. It is at the heart of Sadi, Sadi's works and the, at the heart of Shakespeare's works. Shakespeare actually says, if this be wrong and often 
upon me proved I would never reach, nor any man ever loved, because everything is done for the sake of love in this world. Of course, in his uh, famous sonnet, let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediment. Love is not love that alters when alteration finds. Because the love people, most people have, is what changes when it changes, except certain changes. As uh, I think it's Robert Herrick says that, oh, my beloved, I have been loving you for three whole days. <laughs> and I'm going to love you for another three days if the weather is good, <laughs> if there is no change. So, for most people, love changes because it is not love, it is lust. Shakespeare had made a very beautiful contrast between lust and love. That... Uh, Love is like a gentle spring. It is the spring of our life. It is beautiful. It is full of life. While the winter of lust comes even before the summer ends. Comes too soon. And many other contrastive uh, remarks he made, he has made about lust and love. So love is what doesn't change and it grows and grows it becomes bigger and bigger it doesn't lose its uh, its warmness its uh, glory its, uh, as it begins but other thing this question of mutability which is both in Sadi and Shakespeare I will speak about it later Shakespeare constantly speaks about we rot and rot from hour to hour we bloom and bloom it's uh, about um, a fool who was wearing motley in As You Like It. Somebody is passing and he finds one of the fools lying on the, in, in the sun. He says, oh, good morning, fool. He said, don't call me fool because I have some wisdom to teach you. And then he uh, takes out uh, a sundial out of his pocket and puts it in the sun and says, well, it is now 10 o'clock. And one hour before was 9 o'clock. Another hour would be 11 o'clock. And thus, from hour to hour, we bloom and bloom. And from hour to hour, we rot and rot. And there hangs the tale. This is the tale of our life. So, uh, love is not something that rots and rots, but it blooms and blooms all the time. Sadi is actually the great master of lyric poetry before Hafez. Hafez actually has made some improvement <coughs> upon Sadi, but most scholars believe that um, you cannot uh, categorically say that Hafez is greater in lyricism than Sadi because they are, each has its own proper place in our hearts has its two different uh, fruits, like apple and fig, for example, or grapes. But uh, Sadia speaks of love, the love of beauty, the love of truth, 
and the love of good, which is the love of God. That is what unifies the whole world. And he says that به جهان خرم از آنم که جهان خرم از اوست عاشقم بر همه عالم که همه عالم از اوست I am in this world I am delighted by the one who is the owner of the world and I love everyone in the world because they all belong to him so his famous poem بنی آدم اعضای یک پیکرند که در آفرینش یک گوهرند it comes from this universal love that Bani Adam, the sons of Adam, are all like the limbs of one body. If one limb is put to pain, other limbs are restless. So a person who is careless about the pains and sorrows of others, he cannot be properly called a human being. And Shakespeare said, if our only market, our only good in this world is eating and sleeping. So we, are, we, are, we can claim no more than being a beast because they do the same. And the great creator who has created us all, he has not given us this jewel of reason, this uh, noble reason, uh, just to rot in us and to fuss in us, unused. So we have to make use of our reason, and reason is the great leader, as Ferdowsi says, um, reason is, is, the, is the guide uh, to the threshold of God. So if we don't make use of our reason, then Shakespeare says we, are, we can not claim to be a human being. And Sadi says, In four words, he has given the story of a majority of people in the world. Khor is eating, khab, sleeping, and anger, wrath, because people have clashes with each other and lust. So this is what we have in common with all other animals. Shagabas to jahlu zulmat, it's all darkness and it's all ignorance. Hayawan khabar nadarad ze maqam adamiyat. An animal cannot understand the lofty state of human being. Actually Shakespeare says, what a piece of work is man. How noble in reason, how infinite in faculty, in action, how like an angel, in thought, how like a god. He is the glory of the world and the beauty of the, of the world, of the universe. So, about love, this universal love, um, which uh, is divine and spiritual but when we say it is divine love it doesn't mean that it doesn't come down to our world the same divine love is applied to our relationship with the beloved on the earth but it is divine if you make love with your beloved on the earth and your love is divine love 
then you see your beloved, your great beloved, he is, she is the representative of God. Actually, both in the works of Sadi and in the works of Shakespeare, you find this notion that women or moon, or moon, you know that Indians believe that women have been made out of moon. And uh, in Persian literature and in the works of Shakespeare, women have been compared to moon because moon represents the sun in the absence of the sun. When the sun is absent, who can give the light of uh, sun to us? It's moon. So they believe that woman is the presence of God in this world and God is a distant lover. So he has, uh, he has represented himself in, uh, in a woman and in a man. So we make love uh, as uh, a vicegerent or, or as, a, as in, in delegation of God. Let me recite a piece of poem by Shakespeare and one piece by Sadi about love, about um, this uh, uh, divine and at the same time secular and worldly love. Oh, mistress mine, where are you roaming? Oh, stay and hear, your true, true love is coming that can sing both high and low. Trip no further, pretty sweeting. Journeys end in lovers' meeting. Sadi says you have to be a traveler and a traveler and a traveler until you come to your beloved. Then you can wait. You can stop. Before that, you shouldn't stop in any place because you have not reached your beloved yet. So journeys end. Even the journey of a Sufi, a Sufi is the traveler, traveler towards uh, uh, his beloved. So Sadi says that if you stop in a station, in any station, then you will lose your beloved. You have to go on until you when you come to, to your beloved, then you no more journeys. Journeys end in lovers' meeting. What is love? It is not hereafter. Present mirth has present laughter. What is to come is still unsure. In, de in, in delay, there lies no plenty. Then come, kiss me, sweet and twenty. Love is a stuff. Life is a stuff will not endure. And Sadi says that the whole world is filled with the vibration of love. Jahan por sama as to shur. You can come now to music in Shakespeare and Sadi that they both believe that music is the food of lovers, the food of traders. Shakespeare said, traders in love. Music is the food of the traders in love. 
and Mawlana Rumi says the same thing that Qazai Ashaqan Ahmad Sama and uh, Shakespeare has actually uh, said something about music which is unique I have not read it from anyone else uh, I am reminded of uh, Goethe who says Shakespeare has not left anything for us to say so he has said everything one is that uh, a person um, the man who has no music in himself nor is he not moved by the sweet concord of sounds is fit for treason a stratagem and a spoil the motions of his spirit are dull as night and his affections are as dark as Erebus let no such man be trusted it's very important that you cannot trust a person who doesn't believe in music who doesn't associate with music who doesn't listen to music because a person who doesn't love music it means that he doesn't live, uh, love harmony so he must love some disharmony so disharmony is crime is, uh, when it comes to your body it is illness when it comes to the society it is crime when it comes to economics it is injustice everywhere when this harmony comes something is wrong so Sadi says that uh, even all animals respond to music if uh, now that we see that even a camel responds to the songs there are certain, in Arabic poetry there are certain songs which are particularly sung for the to, to incite and to stimulate uh, camels to run uh, faster and they call it Hodi the song of Hodi so Sadi has also a story that once we were traveling in a caravan in a group and uh, there was um, an ascetic among us, a fanatic, who was all the time uh, complaining about uh, the ways people are behaving and what they say and uh, what is this, this is wrong and this is illegal. And then he was against music. And somebody was uh, singing in the caravan and he was blaming him, why you are singing? And then somewhere his, the camel of the ascetic and just came to such delight and joy that uh, just run away and throw this ascetic down on the ground and went away. And Sadi says, I said to the ascetic, look, even the, the camel is responding and you, have, you are careless still. <laughs> so, so in one poem he says, شطور را چشور و ترب در سرست اگر آدمی را نباشد خرست <clears throat> now that uh, even the camel uh, can respond to good music if a human being doesn't respond he is no more than a donkey and uh, Sadi also has a re- another recommendation about this uh, music that if you see that uh, a donkey is braying keep your voice and uh, don't waste it 
کاش بل بل خموش بنشستی تا خر آواز خود تمام کند You can keep silent until the donkey would finish its brain So um, There are not all the sounds of the world are sweet to our ears So when you hear to some harsh sounds don't mix the harsh sound with the sweet sounds this is what he wants to say now something about uh, nature Sadi is a lover of nature nature is the teacher for Sadi and he believes that all nature is actually um, reciting the name of God And Shakespeare is a follower and imitator of nature, not the outside nature, but also his own nature. <coughs> Aristotle has said that a great artist is a person who imitates nature. And some intellectuals blame Aristotle why he has said that. We shouldn't follow nature, we shouldn't... Uh, imitate because imitation is suicide why should we imitate nature they don't know that nature doesn't mean the nature outside only it means our own nature our own heart Shakespeare looked into his own heart and wrote those plays his, one of the sure signs of genius is that the, the great man looks into his own heart and and comes to believe that whatever he finds good is good for all humanity. This is a sign of genius. Mozart, for example, was sure that the music he was creating is to be loved by everybody in the world because he knew human nature. So Shakespeare wrote much of his, uh, his, his similes and imagery of Shakespeare which is unique in world literature, comes directly out of his own heart and his own nature. But at the same time, he had mm, a sharp eyes for nature and he looked very deep and penetrating into the mysteries of nature. The, about the uses of adversity, he says, how sweet are the uses of adversity Then he wants to give an image. This, the, the uses of adversity that ugly and venomous like a toad still wears two jewels on his head. So it has two jewels. And then he goes on to say, and if um, we are exempt from um, the haunts of the world, we are exempt from this haunting and coming and going and troubles and cares of the world, then We can find books, sorry, we can find tongues in, in the trees, in, in the leaves of trees. Every leaf would be a tongue. And books in the running brooks. And sermon in the stones. And sermons in the stones. And good in everything. So this is actually, it, it indicates that Shakespeare was also a great mystic. Uh, only a mystic can see 
everything is right, everything is, uh, is okay and when compared to God. When, when we say that something is wrong and something is right, in our relationships it's all right. But when it comes to the universe, for Shakespeare everything is all right. Shakespeare uh, has created Desdemona as good as Diago, because Diago is created by Shakespeare, and he has uh, used his time and his uh, skill and his eloquence both for both of them. So he says that you can find good in everything. And uh, even in the wrong things of the world, he says that they, they are our teachers, even the criminals, the impolite people, the insolence of office, they are all our teachers. In one of his, uh, one of his uh, plays, he says, these, our neighbors, do us a great service. And his uh, friend says, well, what service do they give us? Well, they give us the, the, uh, the list of all the things we shouldn't do. So this is what our neighbors are doing. So this is what Saadi says, Lughman ra goftan adab as kya mukhti goft as bi adaban. They asked Lughman, who was a great wise man, a sage, that how did you learn this politeness and etiquette and courtesy? How did you get it? He said, I got it from discourteous people. So whatever I found disliking, I found um, uh, unpleasing, then I rejected it. So you can make use of everything. Even the devil can teach you something. Then I'm gradually coming to close, but um, we will go to the states of life and mutability of life. Shakespeare worked in the theater. She knew very well from close hand that these kings are nobody. Because king, who was King Richard? A poor man who was coming with a chariot in the morning and he had 50 pounds of salary per month to work for the globe, for the theater. So he knew that they are nobody. They just put, wear some uh, crown and then they are given some authority, a brief authority to cut the head of this and to get put anger against that, and then uh, it is time to go. So Shakespeare was very aware of this and has uh, written very beautiful pieces of the inconstancy of this world and the nearness of this to all people. And he has mocked all pride and, and greed and avarice and all the the, the vices of the world for Shakespeare is a source of laughter because actually vices are incongruous with our with the loftiest state of humanity so in, incongruity creates laughter when you say that two things are incongruous um, they, are, they are in quite opposite each other then you, you laugh this is one of the reasons because we laugh with our reason. And reason is, uh, um, distinguishes between whether it is congruous or incongruous. So when it is incongruous, 
and it's not very important, then you burst into laughter. So, Shakespeare uh, has, uh, in just one paragraph, has given a sketch of human life on the earth. That uh, all the world's a stage, and all men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. And one man in his life has many parts to play, his acts being seven ages. At first, the infant, mewling and puking in the nurse's arms. And then, a whining schoolboy with his satchel and shining morning face, creeping unwillingly to school. And then a lover, <clears throat> sighing like a furnace and singing a ballad to his mistress's eyebrow. And then a soldier, full of a strange oath, bearded like a power, jealous in honor, quick and sudden in quarrel, seeking the bubble reputation even in the cannon's mouth. And then a justice, the judge, the justice, with fair round belly, and good, with good capon line. Capon is, is referring to the bribes. They brought some cocks for, for the uh, judges to interfere with um, the judgment. So with capon, with good, his, his belly, round belly, was lined with good capons. Sadi says, Hamekasra. دندان به ترشی کند گردد مگر قاضی را که به شیرینی everybody's everybody's uh, tooth becomes dull uh, when he eats something sour but the judge when he eats something sweet then his sharp tooth becomes dull so then the justice with fair round belly, with uh, and beard of sh- former cut, full of wise souls and modern instances, and so he, he plays his part. And then, at, in the last scene of all that uh, ends this uh, eventful, strange story, is uh, mere oblivion uh, and uh, son's uh, teeth, son's uh, eyes, son's taste, son's everything. Somebody comes and from the other side of the stage goes out. So such beautiful sketches, minimalist, if they, some artists today, they believe that we have to use minimal possible lines in a painting and minimal possible words in, in, in poetry. So who is more minimalist than Shakespeare that um, such beautiful sketches and to the point, each of them. But Saadi starts a little bit earlier. In one of his Qasaid, uh, one of his um, odes, longer than sonnets, longer than lyrics. Bas begardid u begardad ruzgar, del be dunya dar nabandad hushyar. A wise man will not set his heart to the world. 
because it is constantly revolving and moving. You remember that once you were in the womb of your mother. And then, and then you became a nursling seeking your mother's breast for milk. And then you bloomed and bloomed until you became, a, as Shakespeare says, a shining morning face, a child. همچنین بالا گرفتی تا بلوغ سر بالایی شدی سیمین ازار and you became like a cypress tree and uh, with face like silver همچنین تا مرد ناماور شدی and then you grow up again and you became a soldier مرد ناماور شدی فارس میدان و روز کارزار and you became a fighter in the midst of this circle of uh, in, in the battlefield همچنین تا مرد ناماور شدی فارس میدان روز کارزار آنچه دیدی بر قرار خود نمان whatever you have so far seen did not uh, abide by you so uh, make sure that this state that you are now will not abide دیر و زود این شکل و شخص نازنین in a very short time in a very brief time Shakespeare says, out, out, brief candle. This life is so brief. In a very brief time, this beautiful and so dear uh, body of yours will go under the earth. Chachachah will turn into dust, and the dust will go to, uh, to the wind. I wish to end... Uh, by a few words about the music in the works of Shakespeare and in the works of Sadi, not their ideas about music, but the music in the very body of their poetry. Shakespeare is a great singer, in fact, a great musician of words, and he has used, you know, music is... Uh, the basic ideas in music uh, is uh, rhythm, harmony, and melody, as well as contrast, contrepoint. So the melody is idea, the ideas that comes to the mind of the poet. The harmony is the imagery. He, um, he takes a look at the idea and sees that it is like a moon. It is like a bird. It is like the sky. It is like an angel. Shakespeare says every angel, every star is an angel singing in his revolution in the sky. So this imagery is uh, harmony in poetry. And the rhythm is present in the very body of poetry. In rhyme, we have rhyme and rhythm. Rhyme is one sort of harmony between sounds. At the end, you say, for example, that time of year, this is by Shakespeare, that time of years thou mayst in me behold when yellow leaves or none or few do hang upon those boughs which shake against the cold. You see, this old and cold, this is rhyme. This is a similarity in sounds. 
about rhyme, Shakespeare is more various than Sadi, because rhyme in Persian literature is limited. Rhyming is either rhyming couplets, means there are between two lines, they are rhymed together. So there is only one rhyme uh, repeated at the end of each line. The whole work of Bustan, the uh, garden of perfume of Sadi, has only uh, is only um, uh, rhyming couplets, and his sonnets, lyrics, usually um, has only one rhyme all through the sonnets, because it, it starts by one rhyme and then it is continued in the second line, and then at the end of all lines you find the same. در حالت است و طرف تو خود چه آدمی که از عشق بیخبری و سهری بیخبری از بس که در نظرم خوب آمدی سنم و در هر که می نگرم گویی که در نظری So this sound re and ye re is repeated But the sonnet subject in, in all sonnets of Sadi there is only one rhyme But in sonnets of Shakespeare uh, is divided it's called Shakespearean sonnets. It's divided in three parts. Each part is four lines rhyming A, B, A, B. The one is A, and then the second one is B. Again, A is repeated, and B is repeated. And then C, D, C, D, E, F, E, F, and then G, G. The two lines, there are 14 lines altogether. There are three stanza of this scheme, rhyming scheme, and then the two lines, the last line is rhyming couplets. Uh, but about rhythm, Sadi is uh, more variant than Shakespeare, because all the poems of Shakespeare, or not all, but most of them, almost 90%, more than 90% of them are iambic pentameter. His blank verse, his um, other the Paginate Pilgrim and the, 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 his uh, sonnets. They are all r r have their same rhythm, rhythm sorry, of uh, iambic, which are um, ten syllable in each line, one unstressed, one stressed, one unstressed, one stressed. It is like this, like one, quiet and one is stronger that time of year thou mayst me behold of course you shouldn't recite it like that but I'm just emphasizing to show that um, uh, it's like um, a rhythm but um, this is all most of the rhythm is this of course, Shakespeare uses certain variety even in this iambic pentameter, and they say Shakespeare is uh, most uh, unpredictable uh, about uh, his rhythm because all of a sudden he changes in the middle of the poem to create an effect because uh, rhythm can create an effect. Rhythm has something to do with our state of mind. Rhythm, sadly, when he is 
happy, very happy, he uses certain rhythms. When he is um, more moderate and he is uh, speaking about, he is giving sermons to people, he uses some other rhythms. I will just explain that uh, about Sadi, uh, in Persian poetry, rhythm is not something of uh, quality like English. In English, it's the quality. It is a strong or quiet. Sometimes it is like this. This is another rhythm of English um, poetry, which uh, scarcely used by Shakespeare. Mostly this. But in, in Sadi, it is a qu question of quantity rather than quality. So uh, it is, um, again, uh, using the syllables, the consonants, and the vowel, vowel sounds like this. It is either um, one beat or two beats or three beats together. And then he composes these three uh, bases uh, to create a variety of poems. The one is like man. Two is like manam. And three is like beravam. Three. So sometimes they use one, one, two. One, one, two, one, one, two, one, one, two. Ey sarevan ahisteran karam janam mi rabat. Oh, leader of the caravan, just don't uh, make haste because you are taking away my heart. Where are you going? Ey sarevan ahisteran karam janam mi rabat. An dil ke ba khud daashtam ba dil sitanam mi rabat. And sometimes it is the other way around. You have two, one, one. Nimi donam chemi khahi. Or there are many sonnets of this rhyme. Agar ruzi resat dastam keba dildar benshinam. And this poem I recited just now about the, the donkey and the, and the camel, um, it has this very beautiful rhyme. <clears throat> uh, it is one, one, two, three. Dani che goftumara an bulbul sahari gar eshkuni sutura kachtab janevari you can dance with it. So the, there is more than 30 different rhythms used by Sadi, while Shakespeare has confined himself to um, just a few rhythms, and um, the variety is limited. Of course, um, Shakespeare has compensated because he knows that repetition is no good. There is a story in uh, Persian uh, anecdotes that once Mullah Nasreddin, a great comic figure, he was playing 
his star and he had put his finger on one of the strings and then he was playing all the time the same note and they said well, how is it that you are playing the same note all the time uh, you have to go up and down and he said well those who go up and down they have not found it I have found it this is here so some people in the world find a note and they play it and play it and boring everybody. Shakespeare never bores. Actually, in one of his sonnets, he says he is calling his beloved that, oh, my beloved, I wonder how is it that I cannot change the theme and to, to create some innovation, to bring some innovation, something new in my poetry. He is complaining about repetition of his poetry. But he says that the repetition has reason behind it because I have no more than two words to say that I love you. What can I do? This is all I want to say. So there is no way but to change the dress every time and um, repeat it in a new form. But he goes on to say it is like the sun coming out because love is a sun. Uh, you are never bored by the repetition of the sun. It's like, because I love you. I love you, I love you. You are never bored with it. So he says, my repetition is like the sun. Every day is new and old. Thank you. question. <laughs> yes. No question. Fine. So, uh, on behalf well, of the I'd British... Doctor, doctor, could you explain if reason is the faculty that leads... In the West, we begin to think that we have taken reason too far, or rather the rational mind too far. Mm. Could you say something? Because it seems that by, by going so far with reason, we have lost something of the heart. Yes. You know, Sadie and Shakespeare, both of them, when they use the word reason, it doesn't mean the argumenting reason. It doesn't mean the reason we use in philosophy. But it is the reason used as used by Santayana, George Santayana, in uh, his five books on reason. I have recommended to my students to read that book. There are five uh, volumes, Reason in Society, Reason in Religion, Reason in Common Sense, Reason uh, in Arts. So this reason is actually our nature, our uh, reasonable nature, our sensing nature that can distinguish between things. You, even when you smell something and you find it uh, no good, it is your reason. The reason covers all our distinguishing, our knowledge. So, you mean so they don't use it. Uh, actually, uh, both uh, Sadi and uh, Shakespeare have criticized this reason in the sense of um, 
philosophy. He says that uh, hang philosophers unless they bring m- me my Juliet. <laughs> Otherwise, you should hang them. <laughs> so, uh, there are two uses of reason. One reason is our true nature, this, the divine structure God has gifted us to guide us all through even our health, our madness. Shakespeare says that love is a madness. But it is a madness above reason, not below reason. It says, uh, what else is it? Uh, life, it says, life is a, uh, sorry, love is a smoke with fumes of size of the lover. Being purged, if that fume is purged, this is actually what Sheikh Mahmoud says, when that uh, smoke is purged. When it is purged, it is... Um, a light. It is a light that sparkles from the eyes of lovers. When it is vexed, if vexed, then it is a sea, a waving sea, from the tears, nourished by the tears of the lovers. What else is it? It is, uh, <coughs> it is, uh, a reckless madness. It is a choking gull. It is a sweet. Uh, it is a sweet delight. See, so at the same time, there are all the contrasts are to be found in love. Love is all patience. Love is all impatience. Love is all reason. Love is all unreason. Is madness. You see, so in the sense of arguing reason that tries to, um, by using certain um, logical arguments, then Shakespeare says it doesn't go, there is more in this world than your reason. Yes. For the British Council and the Temenos Academy, I'd like to thank Dr. Gomshe for this wonderfully inspiring lecture and invite everyone to refresh themselves with the physical delights um, of, uh, of food and uh, beverage over here on your left-hand side after you've been refreshed by his uh, words of wisdom. Thank you. <laughs>